0: Welcome to episode 80 of the Lace Them Up Podcast. I'm Steve Ellsworth.
1: I'm Brett Dubuff.
0: And we have ourselves a Stanley Cup champion, which means now all 30, soon to be 31 teams have a clean slate. No one's won anything, although that obviously doesn't matter to Pittsburgh because they have won something. They've won, as a matter of fact, their fifth Stanley Cup. Surprisingly, their fifth Stanley Cup away from home. They've never won it on home ice. They've always won it on the road. Uh, Sidney Crosby is apparently good. So is uh, Evgeny Malkin and all the other uh, cast of players that he has. But there was one pivotal point in Game 6 where Nashville fans feel like they got robbed. We'll talk about that. Um, we'll also t- talk about some uh, interesting contract extensions that were handed out. Uh, Tyler Toffoli, Shane Gostis-Bear, and Jonas Corpus-Salo um, all getting uh, new contract extensions with their respective club's We'll tell you how much they signed on for, for how long, and um, if their teams are paying them too much or not. And uh, we've also got some uh, Bruins news. We've uh, got some Las Vegas news. Uh, and also, the NHL's greatest team was announced. Oh, and um, apparently there's speculation that uh, if the Calgary Flames don't get a new rank, uh, their future's in doubt. Uh, so we'll talk about that uh, right off the bat in our Rapid Fire segment. Uh, but first, uh, shout-out to all the players past and present who have worn number 80 in the NHL. A short list again, we have nine guys. Kevin Weeks, of course, wore this uh, number throughout his career, as did Nick Antropa, former Maple Leaf. Uh, who can forget Ily Brishgalov with the Oilers in 2014 and with the Ducks in 2015. Ben Maxwell with the Habs in 2009. Steve McLaren with the Blues in 2004. Jeff Sanderson with the Sabres in ninety eight and ninety nine. Chris Stewart with the Sabres in 2014 and 2015. Matt Tennyson with the Sharks in 2013, 2015, and 2016. And last but certainly not least, former Ottawa Senator Antoine Vermette. He wore that number when he won the Cup with Chicago back in 2015. So to all of them and to all the other players from all the various leagues who have worn number 80 in their careers, this podcast is for you. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve.
1: Uh, I, I, I forgot that we were at episode 80, so uh, we have, I guess, 19 more episodes where we have these, we do these number of things. Um, anyways, the Pe- Pittsburgh Penguins won the cup, um, I guess... Congratulations are in order there.
0: Yeah, um, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess.
1: <laughs> uh, they're the first uh, team to repeat as champions uh, since the uh, Red Wings did in 98 and 90, uh, 97 and 98. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is also very impressive considering that Latang they did this all without Latang. Yeah. Um, Matt Murray was injured for the first two rounds. Uh, Murray wins, uh, this is his second time with the cup and he's still technically a rookie, which is kind of a funny thing when you think about it. Um, and, uh, and then, and Steve just mentioned they didn't win at home. Uh, they have not in their five, uh, cups, uh, that they won. They've never won at home. Um, I'm sure everyone's crying for them for that. And also they joined my city, uh, Boston, with being the only two uh, two cities to have five World Series, which I didn't realize the Pirates had five. I guess I didn't even realize the Red Sox had five. Um, (laughs) The uh, uh, five Super Bowls, that's no surprise for either of those teams, and five uh, Stanley Cups um, as well. So I guess... Welcome to the club. Uh, The Penguins took the Bruins' colors. I don't know if... This this might be a little history lesson for you, but when the Penguins joined the league in hockey, the Bruins got upset because the Penguins um, picked... had black and yellow as their colors, which is, you know... Which is, A, you know, the Bruins were an already established team there, and also... Uh, I think the, Pi- the Penguins did it because the Pirates and the Steelers also have black and yellow. But the Bruins yeah. thought that like th- like we owned black and yellow, um, so it's like a it's like a stupid rivalry we have with them. But it's it's like it's always a funny tidbit that I I remember. Um, anyways, the, the Peng- back to the series. Uh, when we last left off, it was two one Pittsburgh. Um, Nashville, uh, ended up tying the series of, uh, 2-2. Um, it was pretty cool, like, they, uh, they got, uh, Nashville got three goals, unanswered goals, and I think it was in the third, um, and, uh, Frederick Goudreau, I I got a nice goal that looked like it wasn't gonna be in, but it turned out it wasn't, um, after, upon further review, um. Frederick Goudreau also doesn't have a didn't have a locker his entire series, which is kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, he they showed a picture of him with um, not in a locker. Game five um, was pretty much a blowout. Uh, Pittsburgh got six unanswered goals. Nashville didn't score anything, and then in Game Six, which we'll talk about right now. Uh, Well, there's two controversial plays that we'll talk about. The first one is in Game 6, which I'll say Pittsburgh won 2-0. However, in the first period, uh, Nashville actually kind of scored a goal, but um, uh, the call was the ref blew the whistle right before uh, Nashville scored. Um, And uh, rightfully so, it changed the momentum of the game and Nashville feels like they were robbed, um, of their, you know, of their... It changed the whole momentum of the game. Even though it was tied throughout the entire time, and, it, you know, it was, you know, one nothing at, um... It, like, I think they, the Penguins scored, like, with two minutes left. So, technically, it didn't really impact everything. It was pretty even throughout, but at the same time, that has to hurt. This goes along with, um... In history, with uh, the um, the Calgary Flames, they had a controversial not-goal-in, yeah. um, like, it-was-in kind of thing. And, of course, in 99 with the Stars and Brett Hull being the game-winning goal and his foot was in the crease when it was... Um, and at the time, it was a rule that you couldn't have your foot in the crease. So, um, so it'll, it'll be one of those it'll forever be a moment where it'll be like, what if kind of situations, but, um, like that, but, uh, yeah, so was the, were the predators robbed in that, in that sense, Steve? Well,
0: see, with the 1999 call, there's like video evidence to, you know, kind of like add to the controversy in 2004, you could always look and see. Yep. Uh, with the two thousand and four call, the question was: was the puck completely over the goal line, definitively? And of course, the technology wasn't as advanced as it is today. So um, you you wonder if they had today's technology, if it would have made a difference. But you know, you can't turn back uh, the hands of time. And
1: but it's like a similar case here. Yeah.
0: But this particular case was human error. Yeah. Okay. The ref blew the call. The Preds got robbed. They made a mistake. Flat out made a mistake. Murray did not have control of the puck. They blew the whistle too soon. That should have been a good goal. But this this rule is clear as day. When the whistle blows, the play is dead. And the ref blew the whistle too soon. You can't go back and overturn it. Because if you do that, that basic rule... Once the puck, once the whistle's blown, the puck is, the puck is blown dead, the play's blown dead, everything after that is irrelevant. When you start going back and changing, overturning those basic rules of the game, what's the point of having rules in this game? So yes, it sucks. Yes, it's unfortunate. Yes, the Preds got robbed. But the refs made the right call in the sense that they can't go back and overturn it. The play's blown dead, like it or not, it's no goal. It should have been a good goal because there was nothing illegal about that play. The refs just flat out blew it. They made the wrong call. Yeah, And they can't right a wrong by making another wrong call, which is going back and overturning the call based on the fact, oh, I made a mistake. The fact is when the whistle is blown, the play is blown dead and everything that happens after that, legal or not, doesn't matter. Yeah. So that's my
1: two cents on that. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, that, that's fair. I mean, I guess, yeah, it's definitely human error. I know that, sh- that goal should have counted. However, at the same time, it's like um, it was a fairly even-matched game for the, mm-hmm. you know. And that goal throughout. makes a big
0: difference in the grand scheme of things. That's like, true. it's one nothing. you've got the crowd on their side.
1: Yeah, no, like- that's true. I'm just saying it's, like, but it was, like, fairly even, like, who's to say that the Penguins didn't, wouldn't have scored another goal and then it yeah. would have gone into overtime? And who knows what happens in overtime? So, in like, yeah, it would, be, this goal, I feel like, yeah, Nashville was robbed. But at the same time, it's, like, it's one of those what-if situations. Is like, okay, if that goal counted, like, Nashville still could have technically lost. Um but well, yeah. I
0: mean, you know, Sissons had a chance on the breakaway, yep. and he was stopped by Murray. He had another chance to score, and he hit the post. Yep. So he had several other chances after that,
1: play. right? Yeah, exactly. And it's yeah, it's it's, it's tough to you know it's tough to see it here, but at the same time, I don't know. It's yeah, I think they were robbed, but and it's definitely unfortunate for Nashville because I feel like they. They should have that should have counted for obvious reasons, as you just mentioned. But it's also I don't know. At the same time, it it feels like um, it's like one of those who knows what would have happened because you're like talking about alternate realities of like well if that counted, um, how is the how are these two teams going to react to that? Um, But um, yeah, I mean. Uh, not to take anything away from Pittsburgh winning. They definitely, they certainly deserved it. Um, Nashville got shut out for the zero two zeros. And then we'll also talk about in game five, speaking of the refs and their mishandling of situations. Uh, it's also in the first period, uh, Crosby, um, there's like some checking thing. Crosby and Subban have been going at it for the entire series, basically. Um, Subban, like, brought, uh, Suban they were fighting in game three, uh, Suban uh, said that it, Crosby told him he had bad breath, and then Crosby said, like, he didn't say that, or whatever, and I think we all knew that, that that's not what happened.
0: Oh, absolutely, But absolutely. it was, it was
1: definitely, like, a funny quip, and then Crosby had to, like, say, like, no, that's not what happened. Um, <laughs> And then, uh, and then Suban brought in um, a, like a mouthwash to the game in Game Four. Anyways, and then in Game Five, which I thought was pretty funny, and then in Game Five, uh, Crosby uh, just pushes uh, Suban to the ice for about like a minute. What do you say? Um, and that and then, was, and,
0: then, and then it's just like a whack a mole with his head. Yeah, you
1: know? he just like pushes, he like hits his head, everything. Meanwhile, the ref is staring directly at them, right? And they call it a four-on-four when it really should have just been a minor penalty for uh, Crosby. Um, So, uh, yeah, the refs screwed that up, too. However, since the Penguins won 6-0, it's not like you could have said that really changed the whole dynamic of the game. But it was definitely, like, a terrible call to begin with um so and and
0: you gotta help but wonder at the same time though if nashville plays better in pittsburgh does this game six even matter yeah i would argue if they play better in pittsburgh they're stanley cup champions yeah well and on the one hand you know they were the better team from an offensive standpoint shots on goal point of you uh they they were the better team in this series but were they the most opportunistic no and the way Pit, uh, like Pittsburgh for crying out loud, they outscored them nine to two in the first period of this series. Yeah. So, and and in game and in game, um, I think it was game. I think it was game two where um, where they chased uh, Rene from the nets uh, early on. Yeah, it was when uh, they they had like a two goal, three goal, four goal lead in the first period, and then uh, and then Rene gets pulled. And then in game five, same deal. Uh, three goals and like nine or ten shots, and Rene's out of the game. Yep. Um, regardless of how good or bad he was at home this year, everyone's going to look back on those three games in Pittsburgh, and they're just going to be looking at a save percentage. They're going to be like, you know what? It could have been a different story if Pecorine made a couple of timely saves here and there. Yep. Um, I, I really think Pittsburgh wins that series if it wasn't for – the Jekyll and Hyde Peccarine that we saw in Pittsburgh, like yeah, and, for whatever reason, Pittsburgh just had his number in that
1: building. And also, Nashville uh, didn't have uh, Ryan Johansson too, which uh, had a big effect, yes. turned out to have a big effect too. Yeah. Um, like Philip Forsberg didn't really show up at all in the Stanley Cup Finals, and I, I have to think that. And yes, the Penguins didn't have Chris Letang, um, which is kind of the equivalent, but Nashville like, Ryan Johansson is that, like, he was their best player in the first round and the second, I mean, other than Rene, um, and the second round, too, so, um, you know, without Johansson, it's a different, you know, it's a different team, so, um, I'll get to the Colin Smythe in a bit, actually, uh, I'm gonna pose this question to you, do you think Nashville will get to this position again?
0: that is the question that I think a lot of the people are gonna be asking yep. and David Poyle I just looked at uh, the Preds on cap friendly he's got a lot of work to do
1: okay. in order
0: for um, yeah, I'm
1: gonna look in order team. for
0: this team to come back I mean uh, just taking a look here at um, at the list here if they can keep their core together I'm putting them right up there with Chicago I, I think they're legit they've arrived now yep. they know that they can get to this point. But they have a lot of guys to bring back. They have Ryan Johansson, who is an RFA. Pontus Auberg is an RFA. Freddie Goudreau, who didn't score a goal before this series and yeah. got three goals in the Stanley Cup Finals, and all of them either tied or gave Nashville the lead. He's an RFA. Victor Arvidsson's an RFA. Austin Watson's an RFA. Fisher's a UFA come July 1st. And then you've got five other depth guys, including Vernon Fiddler, that could yeah. either move on or retire so I think though with this playoff run these guys have incentive to stick around yep. so it, it all depends on how much um, money that um, it, it's, it's gonna take uh, some uh, financial juggling for David Poyle to get as much of this team back as he can next year yep. but uh, a lot of these guys have, have earned pay raises um, especially um, Victor Arbidson like yeah like just just the
1: Yeah, the... The uh, way he
0: was able to perform. The,
1: uh... no yeah, that's true. It's However, at the same time, uh, you didn't mention that the main reason how the Predators got this far was the like, he
0: was a 30-goal scorer.
1: Yeah. I started talking ahead of you,
0: I really I really... I don't know what's going on now. No, I... Your mic cut out at one point, so I didn't hear you. So I just thought, oh, i I was
1: supposed to
0: continue to talk here, I guess
1: so. No, 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 continue what you were saying. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yes, you're right. They do have RFAs to worry about with Ryan Johansson and Arvidsson. I didn't realize Johansson's 24 years old. I thought he was a little bit older than that. But anyways, Mm -hmm. the Predators still have a pretty young team. Um, Also... Uh, The main reason how the Predators got this far was with Subban, Yossi, Ekholm, and Ellis. And they have those guys on contract. They only really have to worry about Ryan Ellis, who has two years left. But that's not too terrible. Um, And then, uh, yeah, so they have to worry about Ryan Johansson and Arvidsson, but again, they're RFAs, so they have you know they're basically negotiating with themselves. So they the Predators have the upper hand in that, and then they're they're a fairly uh, young team in this regard too because Philip Forsberg's twenty two years old. They have him on like a five year contract. Yeah, Colin Wilson's not too bad either. Cali Youngkroc, we know they didn't have Kevin Fialo, who had a pretty good season this year. Um, he's 20 years old. Um, I mean, sure, you have Mike Fisher. You probably won't see him again. He's 37. But, you know, that's that's fine. Um, James Neal's 29 years old. He's getting there, but he has one year left. I don't know. They're in, they're in pretty good shape. And I guess you also have to say, like, Pekka um, who's 34 years old. And then you also have U C Seros who actually played better than... Pekarene did in the regular season, so um, so you see, Saros could uh, over um, could be the starter next year. I wouldn't be surprised by that, which would be well, given funny. the
0: given the fact that uh, Pekarene is like nearing the age of thirty five, yep. I and mean, it's like Saros is, in my opinion, their goalie of the future if he keeps this up. But yep. uh, Rene is still the guy, but. It's definitely uh, it's definitely reassuring for them that they got someone in the system and, like, that can Saros looks replace a good guy though, like yeah. Rene in, in the long
1: term. Yes, yeah, so Saros looks pretty good. They're in pretty good shape. I, I, it's like obviously it's it's tough to go, um, go back again, and you know not every team's like a Pittsburgh or Chicago. Yeah, but exactly. uh, but they're they're in pretty good shape. Um, you know it's just we'll see. Um, so speaking. what I also
0: liked about the Preds is is how good their fans were. Like yeah. I I said it before. Um outside of the Ottawa Senators, I haven't really gotten to see a fan base that's giving me goosebumps. And that whole In the national market, Game Four had a twenty eight rating, which means twenty eight percent of the people who were yeah. who were like watching their T V so I Option of watching the game did. And the national market twenty eight percent crowd. The highest rate predators game or, ever on the NBC networks yeah. called the twenty two point five rating they set for game one of the final. And nationally, through the first four game uh, through um, the first little bit of the finals, NBC had a four point one four rating. So four percent of their listeners tuned into this series surpassed all the games in the Stanley Cup finals a year ago between the Penguins and the Sharks. And for that crowd to be as loud as an, and annoying to the opposing players as it was, yep. um, I think the players again—that's another incentive. Like, how can you beat this atmosphere? Yep. Like they threw eight catfishes <laughs> um, on, onto the ice in one game yep. throughout the course of one game. Like that's that's true dedication that's right there.
1: Yeah, they were. This was definitely Nashville's coming out party to hockey. Also, they fit right into the hockey fan base with uh, booing Bettman um at the end there, which is which is great. Um but yeah. the uh yeah, the, I, I I didn't well, realize I think
0: every fan base does I don't think. Sure.
1: No, I know, but I I'm just saying like if if they weren't a true hockey fan base then they would have like cheered Bettman or whatever. Um or would have been indifferent to him. Yeah. Um but uh yeah no I didn't realize this but the uh Nashville has sold out their home games for the th- for the past 3 seasons. So they've they've always been like this. It's just now uh this series kind of just put that to the forefront that like Nashville fans are are serious about their hockey. So um it's pretty cool and it's also like cool seeing all these like country stars and tight end players like get into it. So um, it's kind of cool to see that like a uh, like a city like that is is um, embracing hockey, um, which is what Bettman wanted when he started this expansion team. So it's it's great to hear if you're like like if you're at, uh Las Vegas right now, you're probably really excited about Nat, like this whole Nashville thing. Like if you're telling me that in like 15 years, I could you know I could have a fan base like this, then. Yeah, it would be, it's pretty cool. Um, speak, And then uh, lastly, I just want to touch on the Conn Smythe. Uh, Sidney Crosby gets it for the second time in a row. Um, I'm not sure I agree with this wholeheartedly. He did end up with uh, 24 points in... Uh, I think it was... Well, let me look, I had it up here. Um, I know that Malkin had... Uh, was the leader in points and played more uh, one more game than Crosby, um, but I would have given it to Malkin. But it turns out it went to Crosby, um, or I would have I would have even given it to Matt Murray. I know he was injured for the first two rounds and that kind of uh, hampered it, but he was like a big reason why the Penguins were where they were to begin with, but um, I don't know. What are your thoughts, Steve?
0: Well, that's obviously the knee-jerk reaction when you see a team like the Pittsburgh Penguins, who, by the way, this is the first time anyone's won back-to-back Stanley Cup titles since the salary cap was introduced. And the seven or eight years before that, there were teams that came close to winning back-to-back titles, like the Stars in 1999 and 2000, uh, but they lost 2000 to New Jersey. Uh, And then New Jersey went back a year later and lost to Colorado in 2001. So there have been very few teams, uh, in fact, no teams, like you said, since the 97-98 Red Wings, have, um, have uh, repeated as Stanley Cup champions. And the closest team to do that in the salary cap era was the Red Wings, when, of course, they lost to Pittsburgh in 2009. Right. So Pittsburgh's the first team to, to really accomplish such a feat that was, like we saw two-peats and three-peats and four-peats and five-peats and even six peats maybe in the old nhl but this is just so uncommon nowadays um and of course you know when you have so many talented guys on that pittsburgh team everyone the knee-jerk reaction is okay let's give it to the superstar let's give it to grosby let's give it to evgeny malkin people remember or or i at least i do because i was watching most of the series in that series against the Sens, in the first four games they were contained rather well by the ottawa senator's defense And in uh, in the first four games of this series, it wasn't much different. In the first four games, Crosby had three shots in game one, one shot in game two, zero in game three, four in game four. So over those four games, he had eight shots. Evgeny Malkin, one shot in game one, one shot in game two, zero shots in game three, and two shots in game four. That's four shots in four games. That's an average of a shot on goal per game. Yeah. So when you have those two guys combined for 12 shots in four games, that's an average of three shots per game for one player. That's great. For those two guys combined, two top 10 players, and they combine for three shots per game, that's really average for for those guys.
1: I I but, okay. I don't know if you're sorry, done with
0: your own. I'll, I'll let you I'll let you chime in here. I've been I I realized that I'm probably going to go on a rant here. So if yeah, you yeah. want to chime, go ahead.
1: Uh, I hear you on that point. However, Malkin uh, led the the playoffs in points with 28 in 25 games. Crosby mm-hmm. led the league in points. Uh, it was second in that uh, standings, was 27 in 24 games. Um, and it's like uh, they, uh, Crosby had 19 assists. Malkin had 18 assists goals, uh, Malkin had 10 goals, uh, Crosby had 8 goals, it's not like they had a, ter- you're, you're making it seem like they had ter- a terrible playoffs, because they didn't, it's like, yeah, they didn't.
0: <laughs> right, but on the silver lining, and I was gonna get to this, on the silver lining, when their team needed a big game for them, they delivered, Yeah. in game 5, against the Sens, um, Sidney Crosby had a goal and an assist Malkin had three helpers Their power play was the perfect 3-for-3 three three In game 5 of that series against Ottawa as well And in this series They scored one uh, In the first four games They had just one power play goal on 16 tries And who gets it started? Sidney Crosby Great individual effort Opening minute of game 5 Hits the crossbar or Or the post Or he hits iron anyway and he draws a penalty, they go on the power play, and they score on that power play. That pretty much set the tone for the rest of the game. And wouldn't you know it, Crosby, three helpers. Evgeny Malkin, one goal, one assist. Phil Kessel, one goal, two assists. Yeah. The big-name guys stepped it up when they had to. And that's why Sidney Crosby ended up winning the Consmite Trophy, his second straight Consmite Trophy. And I believe the last guy to do that in back-to-back years was Mario Lemieux. So he's a... Uh, He's enjoy He's uh, joining some great company in that respect, but let's make no mistake about it. This is probably like with with this kind of deep a team like uh, Nashville. Uh, Getting the two teams mixed up now. This this Pittsburgh. this team gold is their primary color.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: the primary reason why the Penguins were as good as they were is because not only was Sidney Crosby at his best, not only was Evgeny Malkin at his best, or Phil Kessel. But you had guys stepping up at key times like Chris Kunitz. Two goals in Game 7 against Ottawa. Where would they be without him? Marc-Andre Fleury coming in for the first two rounds and winning those two rounds. Where would they be without him? Where would they be without Matt Murray who came in for a struggling Marc-Andre Fleury in Game 3 and from then on led the Penguins to the Stanley Cup? Where would they be without Jake Gensel's 13 or 14 playoff Mm -hmm. goals?
1: eh,
0: You name any player on this team. They did their part in some retrospect. And, of course, Mike Sullivan brought all this, all this talent together, yep. got them on the same page. And they were able to bounce back. Whenever they would lose, they would bounce back usually with a win. Yep. Um, it, it was just, you, you, I don't like this team because they're so privileged. They seem so spoiled. They have everything that you wish your team could be. Right. And that's what makes them so good. Is because they have everything to win every year.
1: And they did it without uh, their best defenseman, Chris Letang.
0: Right. Um, Actually, as a matter of fact, they're the first team, I believe, to ice six defensemen who did not get a single Norris Trophy vote in their career. Yeah. Which is incredible.
1: Yeah, Justin Schultz was their best defenseman with 13 points in this playoffs. Ian Cole, Ron Hainsey, Ole Mata... I think I'm missing another one. Oh, uh, Trevor Daly. um, Dumoulin. Dumoulin was also in there, I think. Um, But, yeah, those guys guys should get all the credit because, like, we were talking about Nashville this entire time, really, and their defensemen. But Pittsburgh, like, basically had an AHL roster (laughs) um, in terms of defensemen. So, uh, kudos to them. But, yeah, I mean, you're right. It's like the Penguins had so much depth and there were so many reasons why the Benguins were able to win this series and win the playoffs in general. Um, personally, I would have given it to Malkin um, just because he, he was more of a dominant figure than Crosby was um, throughout the playoffs. And I feel like just giving it to Crosby was just because they're like, oh, we don't know who to give it to. And I feel like Malkin just gets so underappreciated that, it, like, it, I mean, it's not really a fault to his own, because Crosby's so good, but, like, I feel like they should give it to Malkin just at least once. I mean, he earned it. He had well, they, 20 he points. Well, got the
0: Conn in 09 when they won it.
1: You, did he? I thought...
0: I'm pretty sure he did. I'll double-check, okay. but I'm pretty sure Evgeny Malkin well, got the Conn Smythe in 2009. should
1: Okay, well, either way, he should have won it this year, too. Um, it's, it's just, uh... It's just one of those things that, um, cause like he, he dominated in, uh, in the first series against Columbus, also against the Capitals. He struggled in Ottawa and in part-time in, in, uh, the Predators and like, wasn't Crosby like Crosby had a a concussion and stuff. And like, you know, he was, he wasn't really that consistent throughout the playoffs, whereas Malkin was fairly consistent. Throughout, so I don't know. I would have given it to Malkin at least. I can understand. I would have also. May you could have maybe swayed me towards Matt Murray, um, just because of that last half of the playoffs, where he comes in in Game Three and then sort of takes over the playoffs. But um, but at the same time, it's I, I feel like it, it, it should be Malkin who would. Con so i guess we're it's arguing over nothing really when you think about just
0: it. to confirm yes he won the consmith of genny malkin did it in 2009 google says so okay um
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah i
0: say google yeah i'm sure that's a valid source Stephen. uh um, yeah, what's also interesting is that the only guy missing from this team compared to last year was ben lovejoy pretty much the same team yeah. was ice the year before came back and, and the home team in this series outscored the road team 33-9 to nine prior to Game 6. Just nothing seems to phase this team. And they were able to adapt, and and they were able to win when it mattered the most. And I think at the end of the day, as a team, they made more big plays than Nashville did. And just the execution um, in those key moments, I think, was ultimately the turning point. Nashville might have been the better team, but Pittsburgh, I think, was the more opportunistic. And that's yeah. what won the day for
1: them. Um. All right, we're going to the rapid fire. Congrats again to the Penguins. We're off to a uh, new By the season. way,
0: just, just, to, just a quick a couple of stats here. Crosby became the first player since Gretzky in 86-87 to win the Stanley Cup and the Rocket Richard in the same year. Not bad for a guy who was playing in his 108th NHL game of the year since September the 9th, wow. which is crazy. And also, as a city, I think maybe we mentioned this, they uh, Pittsburgh hasn't witnessed a championship inside their own city since 1968, when the ABA's Pittsburgh Pipers won it all, um, which is absolutely incredible. Um, yeah. What what else What else can you say? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, mean, I don't like the I don't like the Pens, but I got to admire what they did.
1: This is historic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think, I mean, it makes the Super Bowl. Doesn't make sense really because it's not in, um, it's usually not in the home city. And also, when was the
0: last time the Super Bowl was actually won by the team that was hosting it?
1: It's never happened. Oh, there you go.
0: Probably hasn't Um, happened for a reason.
1: And the Pirates aren't really good, (laughs) Um, haven't been (laughs) good for a while. Yeah, they haven't been good for a while. So, um, yeah, it makes sense that they wouldn't do it if they can't win in the Stanley Cup. In their own home arena, it makes sense that they can.
0: And 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 they actually won it in five, uh, in five different in five different rinks. They won it in Minnesota when the North Stars were in existence. They won it in Chicago in the old uh, Chicago Stadium there. Yep. Um,
1: Detroit.
0: They won. They won it in Detroit with the old Joe Joe Louis Arena. Actually, um, they Jose. won it
1: in San Jose in the Shark Tank,
0: and now they win it in Nashville.
1: Yeah, they're all over the map. There.
0: Yeah, actually, that's I think that's five different states, isn't
1: it? Yeah, well, I mean...
0: That's five different states. How about that?
1: Well, that's obvious that it's they, five they different con- states. They continue to set trends. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, uh, let's go to the rapid fire, though. Congrats to the Penguins. It's off to the new season now. The best part yeah. about... Um, that's the best part for me and Brett, today, is that yeah. our teams are back at 0-0. Zero, yeah. zero, no Every team, one is, all 31 teams now are 0-0. And we're ready for the off season. Um, Rapid fire. Uh, We're going to start off with uh, Brian Burke, who had some some uh, choice words uh, towards Calgary, and he he told season ticket holders that the Flames could leave without a new rink. Um, However, the mayor of um, the mayor of Calgary. Uh, kind of quickly just said, like, no, that's not happening. Um, And also the CEO of the Flames said, uh, hold on, something, He, he uh, he released a statement on the Flames website that read, Brian Burke runs hockey operations for the Calgary Flames, and he and many Calgarians have strong views about this topic. However, he is not our spokesperson regarding a new events center for our city. We remain committed to our dialogue with the city and very optimistic we will get to a positive conclusion. We admire everyone's enthusiasm on this subject. So that kind of just says, like, hey, Brian Burke doesn't know what he's talking about, which is kind of true when you think about it. But um, he also had some uh, words. I guess we can talk about this first. But uh, he also had uh, some words about uh, concussions, which we'll get into. But uh, let's first talk about this. Um, the, uh, yeah, I mean, this is a, kind of a weird situation because I don't think the Flames are ever going to go out of Calgary. Like, you see this all the time in NFL. Like, you have the, the Chargers and the Rams have threatened to move to uh, different cities and they actually got their way, and just but they just moved to L.A., um, the Raiders moved to Las Vegas because they uh, Oakland wouldn't um, build All their soon own soon to be soon to be yeah. However, NFL I don't know if you know this Steve, but the uh, NHL doesn't make as much money as the NFL. Um, <laughs> so uh, and it, it's not like cities are dying for an NHL franchise. I'm like, I'm sure Johnny Goudreau, Sean Monahan are a big draw for them, but it's not. Yeah. It's not gonna be like a thing where like Seattle will be like Seattle. Actually, might be the only team where I could see it happening. But even then, it's like they don't. They're in a worse shape. Even they don't even have an arena. So, um, so I don't. Th- I feel like this is just an empty promise, and this is just Burke being Brian Burke being Brian Burke. But um, yeah, it's still like it's still a news story. It's still something we're talking about. So.
0: Now, I will provide a bit more perspective on this because I did get an article from the Canadian press and it brought up some interesting points. So uh, here's some of it. President of Hockey Operations Brian Burke says taxpayers in other Canadian cities have seen the need for more current arenas and stadiums. So he's wondering, where's the love for Calgary here? Um, The longtime NHL executive addressed the situation at the Canadian Club of Calgary on Wednesday in his trademark old man tone of voice. Also deny requests for media interviews, which led it all up to the public to pose those hard-hitting journalistic questions. Uh, Chris McRae was one of those people. His family has been purchasing Flame Seasons tickets for decades. And he drew the ire of Burke, who decided to hurl this gem at him. Quote, you're saying you don't care if the Calgary Flames leave? You don't think we can find a place to go? Yeah. I can point to examples where public contribution has been an amazing boost to the city or state or province. Or all of the above. I think most intelligent people get this. It is discouraging when other venues cheerfully, willingly construct venues, hockey rinks in Manitoba, football stadiums in Manitoba and Saskatchewan, hockey arenas in Alberta. But our little city is a little smarter than all those people, and we're not going to do it. Yep. We remain committed to a solution here in Calgary. We're optimistic. We'll get one in Calgary. But keep in mind, we're playing against teams in the U.S. that have their venues built for them almost 100% cost and have favorable leases. It's discouraging when you hear someone from the city say that we have zero economic impact. We think it's hundreds of millions of dollars. We have not seen a decline in season's tickets and quote. Now, the CFL, the Canadian Football League recently granted new stadiums for Regina, Winnipeg, and Ottawa in past years. The one in Ottawa is badass. And it is a league much smaller than the NHL brand and even smaller than a uh, much smaller than the NFL brand. And the Stampeders, who are also owned by the Flames, could use a new venue as well. And uh, two years ago, the Flames organization made a pitch to Calgary City Council called Calgary Next. And both sides are still negotiating the location, who will be taking care of what payments, etc. And the Canadian press, again, reporting on that. Quote, the initial Calgary Next project proposed in 2015 included an arena, football stadium, and public field house costing $890 million dollars. Lame's ownership offered $200 million of their money and also proposed a $250 million loan to be repaid through a ticket surcharge. Council declared this project would cost a lot more than that, around $1.3 billion with a B, with taxpayers chewing over a billion with a B of that price. The city has shown more enthusiasm for Plan B, which involves building the arena on a parcel of land just north of the 34-year-old Scotiabank Saddledome. The idea is not dead, but on the back burner, while flame CEO King, uh, Ken King discusses the Victoria Park option with the city crews, end quote. Now, uh, getting back to Chris McCrae, he says he's not opposed to some tax money being involved, but he adds that some of the figures and articles he's seen tend to show that it's a poor investment for taxpayers. He does agree that the Flames are an important part of the city's fabric. And here's what Mayor ne- Nahid Nenshi had to say. If Burke is thinking that the new building will be anything like the Oilers building. He's mistaken. He says, quote, they have a very different situation than us. They had a derelict part of their city. They hadn't had a skyscraper built in the downtown core in who knows how long. They needed to try and really revitalize their downtown. We We are in a completely different environment. To ask for that deal in a completely different environment isn't going to fly with taxpayers. When you look at their deal, it's so opaque. How many people know the city of Edmonton actually pays money to the Oilers, millions a year in fact, to be one of their sponsors? That was part of the deal. We are not doing that, end quote. And uh, getting back to Ken King's statements, what's interesting about that is a few months ago, he had this conversation on Primetime Sports with Bob McCown and Damian Cox. He said, there'd be no threat to move, we just move and that his lovely ownership group would not have their reputations tarnished, and they would not be ridiculed by anyone. So I, any way you slice it, this is a messy situation that can only be solved by putting people into one room, getting on the same page, and just talking things out. Yeah. Because if they're pickering like this, they will move. Because, yeah. like, I'll point to one example. You look at the Belleville Bulls, OHL team, a few years ago. How did they move to Hamilton? The city took too long to build a new rink or update the old one? The owner grew tired of it. He packed up his things, and he moved out, and he sold the team. However, Fortunately, now in Belleville, they're getting a hockey team back. They're going to receive, actually, a level that's above the OHL. But none of that would have been possible without a new venue. So if you're asking me, do the Calgary Flames have a future without a new venue? No, they don't. But are they going to move within the next five years if they don't get it? I doubt
1: it. I, uh, I just read here that counselors say that uh, – Talks are going actually well despite Burke's uh, comments. So there's something like that. So I don't, I feel like. Uh,
0: yeah, Burke's a loose cannon, yeah, okay? Yeah. I think we've established
1: that. I think we have, yeah. I, I just wanted to say that it looks like uh, there, it, yeah, the counselors say talks for new arena deal going well despite Burke's threats. So, um, so there's that. So I don't think, I think there's going to be a deal coming soon. Um, and those are all good points you made, but. Um, so we'll see. It's one of those things. Um, oh, and Ryan Burke, speaking of being a loose cannon, he also said that, uh, uh, if you want to, if you don't want to get a concussion, you should go swimming. You should be a swimmer instead of a hockey player, which I think is kind of a funny quote because I feel like you could probably get a concussion if you're swimming. Um, but it also... Uh, I don't know if the NHL is too happy with his uh, his quotes on that because you have a president of the hockey operation who can who admits that hockey can cause concussions. I um, mean that's not going to help them with the current lawsuit that's going on around the NHL and also with uh, what's happening with Dennis Wyman, a couple um, another lawsuit uh, involving Calgary. So um, I I thought that was a that was an all time. Uh, hockey quote there. Um, okay. Now wasn't
0: well? Didn't he have a? Didn't he have a job with um with the NHL as like I don't know like a department of player safety or something like that?
1: Because
0: because um, I I I, I kind of think, think that um,
1: I know uh, Brendan Shanahan who's another president for another team did, but let me look here. It's
0: it's it's an interesting question because I think he. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah
1: he's After one year, in.
0: so he could join the NHL front office as executive vice president and director of hockey, hockey operations under league commissioner Gary Bettman. That was his early career GM of the Hartford Whalers.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, so, um, but yeah, what, remember when uh, Steve Moore um, was sucker punched by Todd Bertuzzi? Guess who was the GM of the Vancouver Canucks? Mr. Brian Burke.
1: Yeah.
0: So uh, I think he's an old school thinker when it comes to concussions and. Uh, like you said, going back to the Dennis Weidman lawsuit, like, this probably doesn't help his case or yeah. the NHL, because you have guys like this talking about, like, ah, you know you know what you signed up for. If you don't like it, go be a swimmer or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, this is a part of our game, blah, blah, blah.
1: But at the same like, time, he's... He didn't
0: actually say it's a part of the game, but with quotes like that, you, you would think that's probably what he's implying, right? Right,
1: right. At the same time, it's like... I mean, he's kind of admitting it, which is true. It's like, hockey's do have a, you know, do have a part in concussions. I don't know. I feel like if you're swimming, though, it can cause concussions because your head is in and out of the water, and that can hurt. Yeah, that's
0: true, but I I think just the fact that it's more of a risk in hockey than it is in in swimming. Yeah, no, I,
1: I get his sentiment, though, for sure. Yeah. Um.
0: Uh, never change, Burke,
1: never yeah. change. Well, maybe change on this whole arena thing. But, well, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe change on this topic,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. But, Let's I mean, he's, he's right on that. the concussion uh, front, for sure. Um, Panther, I haven't seen any news stories on this other uh, than this article on Puck Daddy, but um, the Florida Panthers uh, hired their uh, new head coach, Bob Bowner. Um Boogner. Boogner. Um uh he was a uh, Windsor Spitfires coach uh Steve was telling me beforehand. Um and uh this is what GM Dale Talon said. After an exhaustive search, we are pleased to welcome Bob as the new head coach of the Panthers. He sees the game in a modern way and is eager to work with our young players. During the interview process, Bob blew us away with his preparation, his passion, knowledge and dedication to the game. We believe that he is the right leader to get our team back to competing towards our goal of winning the Stanley Cup. Um, The interview is apparently what put him over the top. Um, Yeah, so uh, he had two straight Memorial Cups, as uh, I'm sure Steve will talk about, and eight strong seasons with the Windsor Spitfires. Um, Yeah, and I I guess we'll see how it goes, really. Um yeah, yeah. And,
0: and he certainly got the resume but actually president of the Spitfires the last two years including that Memorial Cup champs uh championship that they just won a couple of weeks ago and prior to that he won two uh straight Memorial Cups with Taylor Hall Adam Henrique Ryan Ellis all those guys uh with the Spitfires that was back in the late 2000s early 2010s um but um he, and over the last two years actually he was an assistant with the San Jose Sharks which I didn't uh, know yep. until Um, when I found out the story that he was hired. Um, Let's face it, the Florida Panthers, they need a long-term guy behind the bench. This is the 15th head coach they've hired in their 23-year history, which is a lot of coaches. Also, the fifth different coach since 2011. So they've been used to hiring and firing. It's been a coaching carousel. Now, also what's interesting is that Bugner was teammates with Jager in Pittsburgh during his hockey playing days. Um, And while he's never coached an NHL team before, I don't think he would hire, uh, Dale Talon would hire this guy unless he knew he'd be a long term coach. And I really think this team needs a voice that can go beyond a few years, a voice that needs to provide a lot of success. And that's playoff success, that's deep playoff runs. That's two things Florida doesn't have at the moment. And I think what they need most importantly is rock solid team first play. Um, I think at times they steered away from that. Probably one of the main reasons why they won a division title. Another thing that Bugner was known for was his toughness as opposed to his offense. He didn't have really much of an offensive game in his career. I think he had like 72 points in his NHL career. Um, But he was no more for his toughness than his offense. And I think in order to reach the next step, you have to be mentally tough. And you look at his penalty minutes, he was mentally tough out there on the ice. And I think with a bunch of young players, that's what they need is they need mental toughness. And mental toughness is what separates good teams from great teams. And when you look at the amount of Meyer penalties they took, they took 304 of them, which was the sixth most in the NHL. They were somehow able to finish with a top three penalty kill this year. But you can't win games if you're too busy killing off penalties. But if you're better prepared mentally, you don't panic as much, your confidence goes up a little bit. So... That's one of the many things they need to improve on, and I think Bob is the perfect guy for the job. I really think he's a great hire for this team.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the this was like an aberration year for the Panthers because Huberto gets out, um, is injured yeah, at the beginning of the year, of misses guys. like half the season. Barkov misses half the like a majority of the season too, and then you have Ekblad, and then once they're healthy, then Ekblad goes down, so... Um, it, it, I feel like the Panthers uh, are due for a, a comeback season this year. So um, we'll see um, how it goes. Uh, let's see here. Um, okay, I speculated. This is speculation here, but it is coming from Bob McKenzie, so he's a trusted source here. Um, Ilya Kovalchuk is looking for a two-to-three-year deal in, the, in a six to $7 million range per season. Um, If you don't know, uh, Ilya Kovalchuk has one more year left in KHL, and he's been hinting at a return to the NHL. Um, What you'd have to do is he can't sign, Kovalchuk can't sign an NHL contract until July 1st, um, which means he also cannot be selected by Las Vegas. Um, And also, but because Kovalchuk is on the NHL's voluntary retirement list, he can only sign with the Devils, so the only way he can play for another team is through a sign and trade with the Devils. So that way, um, they don't like other teams don't have to sign him for that ridiculous contract that he had um, with the Devils. So um, there is some good news. I don't. Uh, we were talking about this beforehand. It kind of reminds me of Alex Radulov last year where, uh, it was risky, he had personality, you know, Radulov had personality issues, and then he decides to go to Montreal, um, and people weren't sure what was gonna happen, but it turns out he, uh, he did pretty well, um, in, there, in that point. However, Kovalchuk is better, um, than, uh, Radulov is, although, albeit, he is four years older than him, he's 34 years older at the moment, um, so who knows if he, ha- you're not going to get the same Atlanta thrashers, uh, New Jersey devil, uh, Ilya Kovalchuk if a team is willing to sign him. But uh, I- I'm, I'm pretty sure a team's going to sign him. Um, it's definitely one of the more risky, uh, risky moves though, if a team were to get him though. For well, sure.
0: it's extremely risky. I think riskier than Radjlob and, and- yeah. First off, if a team like Montreal, like everyone's harping on Montreal, oh, they need offense. They need a top six forward. Well, there's yeah. a top six forward. Let's go get him. You know, right? Like they need to sign Radulov first, a right. New contract before they even think of re-signing Kovalchuk. Um, The second thing is, while he's got the skill to be an impact player, the problem is he still thinks he can be a money scorer, and that's why he's looking for this kind of money. Yeah, but. While he scored 40 or more goals five times in his NHL career, he hasn't done that since 2009-2010 when he was with the now-defunct Thrashers and the now-struggling New Jersey Devils. The most goals he scored in a KHL season was 25. That was his second year with SKA St. Petersburg. And over the last three KHL seasons, if you're looking for point production, he has that, 144 points, 149 games played. So I guess he's a multimillionaire in that regard. But if you're paying for his goal scoring, you're not going to get it.
1: Um, he did have 32 goals last year for Scott St Petersburg and 78 points.
0: Did he? Yep. Huh. Okay, I stand corrected then. Um,
1: but and he um, had 20. He had 16 goals uh, two seasons ago, but he only played 50 games as opposed to 60 this year
0: according to the nhl stats that uh, that i got um, that,
1: that that speaks a little bit differently but um, oh in the are you were you talking about the nhl or i was talking about oh KHL. Well, i was i was
0: taking a look at his um, nhl stats and include the khl
1: well i was looking at the uh it's eliteprospects.com oh, okay right well i'm
0: looking at that now i guess they didn't update the this year's numbers okay i stand corrected You're right, 32 goals, 78 points in 60 games. Okay, so I didn't see that. But still, not a 30-goal season. The last time he got 30 goals was in 2011-2012 with the Devils.
1: In the NHL, yeah. Um, No, of course. The NHL is different than
0: the NHL. It it took him a while to get to uh, become a 30-goal scorer again. But he's not... (laughs) So I look. You're like an
1: still. Engineer. You're still. I mean, you're still technically right. I mean, the but NHL is a harder he league. He has
0: reached forty goals oh. in a while. Yeah. Still, that that <laughs> part of my sentiment remains true. So I'll take Sal
1: in that back. Right. Um. Now, I mean, I'll take thirty goals. Uh. For yeah, him. <laughs> yeah, thirty goals,
0: but still, like six or seven million for a thirty yeah. goal score, like Victor Arbertson, who we just talked about, is not even making close to that, uh-huh. and he got a thirty goal season.
1: Yeah. To be fair, rookie though. I don't but, know. I I feel like. I feel like there's gonna be a one team, I'm not sure which team it is yet, but one team's gonna is gonna uh lend a hand to Ilya. I mean I know that he kind of retired unexpectedly when it happened and he was he was the big reason why the uh Devils even made it to the Stanley Cup finals that year. So
0: Oh absolutely he had and, he had a big role, but let's let's yeah. remember this. He walked away from a deal that was paying him nine to ten million dollars a year. Yep. So he can walk away from anything. Well,
1: That's you can. He but been
0: to give him over five million, even.
1: But at the same time, he he wants to come back to the NHL. Why? Like he's literally said that he wants to come back to the NHL. Why would he like? I mean, I guess he could theoretically just leave at any moment. But, it, you know, it's, yeah. it, you know, it's like, I'm sure people had the same, uh, I think people had the same, uh, questions as Radulov and Yager, and look at where Yager is, and look at where Radulov is. I mean, it's, I'm, you know, it's... I'm
0: just, yeah, I, I'm just a bit more, uh, out skeptical? of those three, I'm
1: a I mean, you more have, skeptical with you have, you have every based reason based
0: on what he was walking away yeah.
1: from. You have every reason to be skeptical, I guess, it's just, uh... I, I feel like there's he's, he, he still has a chance, I feel like, um, to be a, a decent player. I don't think he's gonna get what he's speculated of getting for the six to seven million. That's kind of crazy. But like maybe like a four or three million yield type deal for one yeah. to two years, uh, just like a prove it deal like oh, you're yeah. actually serious kind of thing. Um, then I think then I think a team will probably uh, take that offer. But not for a I think, I think someone's
0: going to be willing to pay Kovalchuk what he's looking for. I just don't think it's going to be a cup contender. He's going to be going if he wants that kind of money. He's no. going to be. He's going to have to be prepared to go to a team actually, that's not ready to win right now.
1: I actually wouldn't. I would be fine if uh, the Bruins went and got him. Um, really? Yeah. I, I, really? The Bruins need a winger desperately. Other really, uh, Pasternak and Marchand are really our only good wingers. He'd be—I mean, he'd be a good on our second line, man. That's—that's uh, that's all I'm saying.
0: <laughs> I would flip my lid if Pierre Dorian went and got him. I would <laughs> not like Ilya Kovalchuk in a Sens uniform. I will tell you that much.
1: Right. <laughs> I don't
0: even want the Sense to come anywhere near him. If he went to Montreal, I'd be fine with that because I think that would just be a hilarious situation yeah. that would crash and burn. But, because the Cape Breton Screaming Eagles in the Q yeah. League. Drafted him, and he never played a game. But you for felt At the least same. Radulov, he was in the Quebec Major Junior League. He had a he loved the passion. That but the you fans felt the brought. same way well, about. Chuck
1: doesn't care. You felt the same way about Rajulov last year, and look how that happened. You're not laughing anymore about Ratchulov. Yeah, no,
0: that, yeah, I'm 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 open to be proven wrong, but I I am just really real. I'm mo- a lot more skeptical about Kovalchuk. All, i all admit,
1: I'll admit, I'm it's a lot more. I'll admit, it's a lot player. more risky. And the fact that he's turning thirty five soon is a, yeah, li- that's a little to is age. Yeah. That's another Uh but uh, I, I think I think there'll be a team that will want want him. Um, I think
0: that'll probably be the talked about headline, honestly. More so than John Tavares, whether or not he re-signs to the Islanders. I think this is gonna be the most talked about headline. What happens with Kobold Chuck? I think it's more popular than even what the with them with what the Avalanche do with some of their
1: superstars. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think this will be the most talked about storyline this offseason.
1: season. Well, John Tavares isn't going to be a free agent this year, but that's besides the point. Uh, gotcha. Ghost Ghost Bear signs a uh, a deal, six year deal with the Flyers, uh, four point five million annual average value. Uh, he had a he didn't have as great of a year this year as opposed to last year. Uh, he had 39 points in 76 games, um, as opposed to his rookie year where he had 46 points in uh, 64 games. So, um, although I was like I was just looking online, apparently his uh, his advanced stats numbers were pretty good. Although, so. Um, i feel like this is a good deal um it's just if it's if if you're getting the rookie year go spare and not this year yeah. go spare but if you're if he's gonna you know i assume they're just hoping that he just got unlucky which i guess the advanced stats say that he was um so i don't know i i, I think it's a good deal but it's 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 something that's remains to be seen. I could see this going the other way too. So this would be a great deal if he like had another like great season, but um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see.
0: What's, what's interesting is that in the first two years to the deal, he's going to make 6 million. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the final two years, he's going to be making 3.25 million. So of course they're going to get the bulk of the money out of the way first. Um, just taking a look at, um, like I said, it's a Jekyll and Hyde case. He was a Calder Trophy finalist in 2016, um, but just seven goals in his sophomore year compared to just 17 in his rookie year. He was also a minus 21. He was also scratched on occasion, um, a healthy scratch, uh, on occasion by, uh, head coach Dave Haxtell. Um, yep. on the plus side though. He had one more power play point than he did last year. Um, He got 22 in his rookie year. He had 23 in his second season. Uh, Ron Hextall also confident that the young 24-year-old will be able to use the bad experiences from last year, or from this year, rather, as learning tools for the years ahead. Um, As to whether or not it was a good signing or a bad signing, I think it was a signing that was necessary for the Flyers to make, whether it was good or bad. Because you look at their highest-paid defenseman, his name's Andrew McDonald. At one point, he was an AHL regular. And besides Ghost Bear, they have Rakko Gudis, who was top 10 in hits this year, but that's about it. And then you look at Nick Schultz and Mike Delzato, both are UFAs. Not sure if both are going to be back next year or if one of them is even going to be back. So they still have a lot of work to do to improve their defense. Maybe um, they trade one of their current roster players to help out, or maybe they trade their number two pick uh, to get a veteran defenseman to help them out, or maybe they get Kevin Shattenkirk somehow in the open market. But I think at the end of the day they needed Shane Ghost to spare in their future plans and now they have him locked up for six years and I think it was a move that whether or not it was a good move to make, I think it was one that was still necessary because if you lose Ghost Bear, then your defense looks in a lot worse shape.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's one, I mean, yeah, we'll see. If it could work out for them, it could not. I think it's I don't think Hack is that great of a coach, but we'll see. Um, the, uh, Tyler Toffoli gets signed, uh, three years, uh, to the Kings, 4.6 annual average value. Uh, he had a definite, if you thought Ghost Bears uh, had an off year, uh, Toffoli had an even worse year, uh, 34 points in 63 games last year, um, as a year, as opposed to last Two years ago, where he had fifty-eight points in eighty-two games. So um, I don't know. I feel like it's uh, it's a good term. It's it's not it's not a terrible contract for what he is, but uh, um, I don't know. He could be doing better, I guess. Um, Now,
0: on cap-friendly, it lists him as a left-wing, right-wing mix. On NHL.com, it actually lists him as a center. So, his versatile ability to play both various positions up front makes him pretty valuable. And yeah, his 16 goals in 63 games were a career low since his first full NHL season. But in the two years prior to this year, he got over 20 goals and averaged close to 50 points. And that included a career-high 31 goals and 58 points in a full 82 games last year. Um I like the term because it's not like they're paying him almost $5 million over the next six years. It's only for the next three. But there's going to be debate as to whether or not he should be getting paid $5 million a year, especially considering his off year. Um, on the one hand, I'm a bit hesitant. But on the other hand, I look back and think about the kind of money they gave to Tanner Pearson a few months ago. Right. I mean, this guy had better numbers than Tappoli this year, 24 goals and 44 points in 80 games. He got a four-year deal with with the uh, worth uh, three point seven five million bucks a year. His best year prior to that breakout year was about as good as Toffoli's worst campaign in a full NHL season. So if I'm if I'm not paying the right price, I might as well give him enough to keep him around. Yep. And Tyler is definitely worth keeping around. You also have to consider the Kings and the amount of prospects that they have. Like, are there any prospects on my radar at least? that are going to jump in and steal roster spot. Um, Right now, I'm saying no. I also look at their cap space. They have just under $6 million to work with. So, on the one hand, again, I'm not crazy about this deal. But again, it was a necessary move that they had to make. Um, I can only hope that he's going to have a good season. It's tough to tell with the front office changes. But either way, he's a regular on this team. And he's going to be given chances to prove that he's worth all that money. Now. Here's another thing that the Kings need to worry about. Find the weakest link. you got to find him, and then you got to trade him. In my honest opinion, and it's going to be easier said than done, that weak link is either Dustin Brown, who's making close to $6 million a year and is not even close to the guy he once was, or Marion Gabrick, who's making almost the same as DeFoley but can't stay healthy and is aging fast. They can't make their team better unless they make a deal and trade one of those two guys, or both.
1: Yeah, it's one of those deals where we'll have to see. I mean, I think you can say that about everything, but... um, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a good deal for if it's, like, for what he is. So um, I can see it working out for him. It's not, like, too crazy in terms of years or money-wise, so... um, I'm more concerned
0: about the money than the term. I like the term. Three years is a good number.
1: Yeah, yeah. But, like, I don't even think Uh, 4.9... million is that our 4.6 million annual average value is not that bad either. So I don't know. Mm. Um, Columbus, uh, re-signs Junis for two years with a 0.9 million annual average value or 1.8 million for two years, I should say. Um, and, uh, so yeah, he, he, he had, uh, I'm looking here, in 14 games in the NHL um, this year, he had a 2.88 GAA and a 9.05 save percentage. He had a decent AHL career uh, season 2 with, um, slightly better I guess, uh, 16 games played, 2.69 GAA and a 9.07 save percentage. But it's like, it's just a cheap contract anyway, so I don't think it really matters. And he's a backup, he'll be a known backup anyway, so, um, but yeah, they have that deal in place for him there.
0: I think it's a pretty wise deal. Um, yeah. uh, he only earning 700000 in his first year, $1.1 $1. 1 in the second year. Um, this year, he only went 7-5-1 in 14 games. Not anything for a goalie to write home about, but... Here's why the signing was a smart investment. When Officer Sergei Bobrovsky was injured a season ago, this guy played the bulk of the games during his absence, and I've mentioned this before. He posted a record of 16-11-4, 2.60 GAA, 9.20 save percentage. And he did not record a shutout during that stretch, Was which is even more impressive. He played in 31 games that year only played in 14 this year, which basically means his playing time this year was cut in half. And like any player, I think his play is going to benefit on the condition he gets more ice time. And I think the reason why he didn't is because they leaned on Sergei Bobrovsky so much during the season, and I think that hurt them in the playoffs because they didn't know who to trust in the plan B spot. Now that they know who their plan B is and who they hope he's going to be, I think Korpisal is going to get more time in the blue paint next year. And I think he, Bobrovsky, and the team as a whole will benefit from that. So I really like this signing for Columbus. It's a good depth move.
1: Yeah. Uh, There's some Golden Knights news uh, here. Uh, I'll let you take this away. They have uh, some assistant coaches announced and a supposed deal with Columbus.
0: Yeah. So the Golden Knights continued to add pieces to their inaugural roster. Uh, the focus shifted this time behind the scenes. Mike Kelly was hired as one of Gerard Gallant's assistant coaches. His ties with Gerard war- runs deep as well. He was an assistant to Gallant with the Saint John Sea Dogs from 2010 to 2012. He also won a Memorial Cup in 2011. He held the same assistant coaching role with the Florida Panthers from 2014 to 2016, who Gallant coached. And in the days that follow, Ryan Craig was added to the mix. He is a former NHL athlete, taken by the Tampa Bay Lightning in the eighth round of the 2002 draft. Played in 198 career games over eight seasons with Tampa, Pittsburgh, and Columbus. Recording 64 points and 148 penalty eight minutes during that stretch. Last year, he was the captain of the Lake Erie Monsters. He led them to a Calder Cup title. So his wealth of knowledge will also be very critical to the short-term and long-term success of the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, Talking about player news, I got this report from NBC Sports, uh, and Columbus, it looks like they might have found a way to avoid the contract headache. That is Scott Hartnell. Uh, They say, according to the Columbus Dispatch, the Blue Jackets might have a deal in place. This is merely speculation. They might have a deal in place to send a prospect and or a draft pick to Vegas on the condition they take player A, ooh, mysterious, instead of player B, ooh, mysterious, to make the deal cooperate with NHL guidelines, Vegas would provide future considerations. Uh, Hartnell, we're talking about a guy he's, who was a playoff scratch with the Jackets, just completed year four of a six-year deal that's slated to pay him 4.75 million bucks a year. Also has a no movement clause, which protects him from the expansion draft, which means um, that uh, that would leave one of their young players exposed. Uh, also they have until today to ask Hartnell to waive his no trade clause right. uh, today being Monday. Uh, now the three guys that would probably be exposed in all likelihood, um, are Matt Calvert, uh, Josh Anderson and William Carlson. They would all be left for the taking if, uh, they can't get Scott Hartnell to waive his no trade. Um, so teams have until Friday. And this is perfect, and this um, might as well make this perfectly clear. They have until this Friday, all thirty teams, to send their list of protected guys for the upcoming expansion draft, which falls on Awards Night, June twenty-first. So um, this is interesting, considering we don't know who Player A is. But if I had to take a guess, Josh Anderson had probably the most upside this year. So that's probably the guy they're just like, okay will give you a uh, prospect and or a, draft, uh, and or a draft pick if you don't take this guy. Right. So my guess is they're talking about Josh Anderson. This is merely speculating. This is just my guess. This is not anything they said. But I really think that um, if they can't get Scott Hartnell to waive this no-trade clause, it's a smart move for Columbus. Yeah. And once again, another smart move for the Vegas Golden Knights because uh, they're getting stuff for free.
1: I actually – so there, I have two news stories on – uh, Vegas Golden Knights, uh, oh, one, uh, it's just in, so I don't expect you to know this yet, so, uh, <laughs> no,
0: of course, it breaks during our show, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so, uh, Free- Elliot, this is more speculation, but this is coming from Elliot Friedman, um, he said the this on source, it. Yeah. he said that he thinks uh, CBJ and Vegas Golden Knights have a deal where David Clarkson lands in Vegas, along with huh. a first and a prospect. I don't understand why the Blue Jackets would do that, because, I don't know, it's not like Clarkson would need it, but um, there, there is that, and also, uh, uh, according to a source that's close to this situation, it's confirmed that Marc-Andre Fleury has waived his uh, no-movement clause for the uh, expansion draft, so, um, I mean, I think that was expected to begin with, but, uh, Flurry is officially available. Um, could be traded soon too. So, uh, but yeah, there's that what,
0: what a what a pure class pro Marc Andre Fleury is like. I, yeah. I the, he's the one guy that I don't mind. Pittsburgh yeah, he didn't even Stanley have Cups. to. Like, I I love Marc Andre.
1: He could have screwed yes. the Penguins over completely and just like he's like, oh Matt Murray wins two straight Stanley Cups. No, no big deal. So technically, a rookie. You're going yeah. to you're going to uh, Golden Knights He even rookie. gave him a cup. He yeah. even gave
0: him a cup after he hoisted it. What a yeah.
1: guy? Um, and and, and uh,
0: regarding the David Clarkson news, like I think I think we've got Arizona Coyotes 2.0 on our hands. <laughs> <laughs> Taking players people don't want.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean I <laughs> don't, don't know how much Christ truth there is want. to this, but it is like a crazy thing. I don't know why the. I guess it makes sense for the Blue Jackets, but I don't know why the Golden Knights would do this at all. Uh, just because they happen to have cap room is like it doesn't make sense really. They've got the best opportunity. They too. haven't
0: had this. No, no expansion teams had this great opportunity, and now they're taking on bad contracts. And yeah, of course, yeah. we have we don't know if they're going to
1: take on this, but if they sure, do, this, it's just like to be fair, you're this is all a great opportunity to yeah. have a playoff team here. Right. Right. To be fair, this is all like a, this is all a. Uh, I mean, I guess it makes sense for the Blue Jackets because then they have it makes it better for their protection list. But at yeah. the same time, you're giving, it, you know, it's like I don't know. I don't know why the Knights would even do this, but we'll see. Maybe they have a deal in place. So um, it's now, also not official. Yet. have a
0: no movement clause. What is that? Why?
1: I think so. Hold on. Yeah.
0: Let Let me check. Uh... Vegas expansion on cap friendly. That's usually... that's I I I guess I do a lot of re- more research yeah. on the plot than I think. Um let's see here. Uh, okay, I'm looking da, 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 da,
1: to Columbus. Columbus.
0: It let's see. Looks... Yeah, Felino, Hartnell, they all have no movement clauses. I don't see David Clarkson on oh,
1: here. Clarkson oh, Clarkson doesn't. Okay.
0: Maybe that's because I think you have to have, like, um... Oh, no, it
1: does have... No, Clarkson does have a no-movement clause. Oh,
0: does
1: he? Yeah. Is it? He has oh. a no-trade... A modified no-trade clause. and also Okay, no the no-movement no movement
0: clause. clause applies to Brandon Dubinsky, Nick Foligno, and Scott Hartnell. But I don't see one with David Clarkson. I'm looking here that
1: he has a no-movement clause. But maybe... I don't know. Maybe Maybe he does. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't know. I mean, right. He
0: could have a no movement clause, but um
1: But not like uh, the other ones. It
0: it says he does, but it's waived injury exempt or something like that. Uh oh. So I guess injured. it doesn't apply. I guess this is just Columbus's way of just dumping out a bad contract they don't want anymore.
1: I see. I see. Um okay. Never mind then. Uh <laughs> Let's go to the I, cal- I, I,
0: either way. It's 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 startling to me that um that Vegas would would be willing to take this on if, if they do in fact. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, yeah. Again,
1: this is all speculation. We could It be, is all
0: speculation, but it, I just I just be like totally wrong.
1: We could be totally wrong by this at the end of this.
0: Oh, no, it's it's noteworthy. It's coming from LA Freeman. It's, we we uh, we, we think that. his info is valid, so we're just yeah. passing along to you. Uh Calder moving okay, along.
1: Cal- Calder Cup, uh, Grand Rapids, which is the Red Wings affiliate, um, is ahead of Syracuse Crush, which is the Tampa Bay uh, affiliate. Three uh series is three two. Uh, game six is on Tuesday. Um, letting you know. And uh yeah, it's, um, it's Steve
0: Five-goal first period by Syracuse in Game 5. Yeah. Um, uh, Grand Rapids had a chance to close it out in Game 5. They couldn't get it done. Oddly enough, here's an interesting stat that makes me so happy. The uh, playoff leading scorer has 27 points. His name is Corey Conacher, who the Sens traded in the Ben Bishop deal. It's looking better every day.
1: If it makes you feel better. Bishop's no longer in the, on the yeah, line. So. he's no
0: longer at Tampa
1: either. So... Um... So, yeah, and, we, and,
0: we, and, and one of the guys that we got back, I believe, was Tobias Lindbergh, who we shipped to Toronto for FNUF, so yeah. I guess it wasn't a total loss.
1: Yep. Um, Oilers, uh, the 84 and 85 team, I think it was, uh, had the yes. greatest team ever. I was actually looking here, didn't they have like 80 points or something like that? It was in the regular season.
0: No, I think they had a lot more than uh, eighty points. They actually um, got four hundred and one goals and forty-nine wins in eighty regular season
1: games. Um, Only
0: lost three times in the playoffs.
1: Too. Oh, oh, okay. I am thinking the the other there was another team, the Penguins. One of the Penguins teams was in the list, and they had like they barely made the playoffs that year. They ended up winning the the cup, but like, and they also had Yager Lemieux. Um, Ron Francis, Paul Coffey, and those guys, but they had like they made they barely made the playoffs. I remember that, but trying uh, okay.
0: to all of the LA Kings in 2012. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just just taking a look at uh, in more detail. Um, this was their second of four Stanley Cups in a span of five years. Um, they they were choosing from 96 Stanley Cup teams. Uh, Stanley Cup winners, uh, 3.6 million voters in total decided to cast their ballots over a six-week time period. Uh, the Oilers defeated the Flyers, who were actually better than them in the regular season standings, the top team in the league. They defeated them in five games to win the title. Uh, you had Gretzky on that team. You had Marc Messier on that team. You had Yari Curry, Paul Coffey, and Grant Fuhrer. All those guys are in the Hockey Hall of Fame. And here's the shocking. here's some shocking stats for you. Wayne Gretzky scored 208 points in 84-85. Third highest of his career. 208 points. It was only the third highest. Uh, His 135 assists, though, that set an NHL record for most assists in one year, a record that, not surprisingly, still stands to this day. Curry and Coffee surpassed 120 points as well, uh, and no one has been able to equal or surpass Curry's 19 playoff goals in 84-85. Not even that Jake Gensel guy in Pittsburgh. And uh, also in the playoffs, the Great One set records for assists, 30, and points, 47 in a playoff campaign. And he also equaled the modern record shared by Belleville in 1956 and Mike Bossy in 82. For most goals in the Stanley Cup Finals, he got seven goals in five games. Um when asked about their success, Gretzky described it this way. Quote, An epic we had a love for the game. All of us loved being at the rink. We loved playing and we loved practicing. I think from Messier to Anderson to Coffee to Lowe to Yari Curry, we showed up for practice and we practiced hard. And he also gave credit to two individuals who played a key role in their success. Barry Fraser was one of the scouts who was responsible for putting this team together Especially when he drafted a goalie like Grant Fuhr eighth overall in the first round of the NHL draft, and Grant Fuhrer was the other guy that he mentioned. Uh, he, of course, backstopped the Oilers to the title that year, and he was the kind of guy that didn't care if his team won one nothing or six five or eight to seven. He just wanted to win, never pointed the finger at anybody, and Gretzky just said it was teams like Grant, it was team players like Grant Fuhrer who made this team so great and everyone did their part. Everyone had their role in uh, how well this team did, how well this team fared in in the standings and the playoffs and just an all around great team. And the interesting part of Grand Fury is in his final years of his NHL career, he actually posted some of the best goals against averages of his career in his early seasons. When it was so run-and-gun offense. He had, had goals against averages of, like, three. But his goals against average and later in his career was hovering around 2.5 with St. Louis. Hmm. And that's because St. Louis was a defensive-minded team. The Oilers were not. Right. So, um, that's that's partly why Grant Fuhr. when you look at his numbers, you're just like, eh, he wasn't great. Well, um, when, when the moments mattered, he made the timely saves. And, um... That's, that's why he became a money goalie, and that's why he won so many Stanley Cups with the Oilers, because he had a great offensive-minded team in front of him, uh, and um, that's ultimately why this team was the best of the best.
1: Yeah, uh, they they were a pretty good team. I mean, they had Messi and Gretzky. What more could you ask for?
0: Yeah, exactly. In uh, the prime of their careers, probably, okay. or not even close to that.
1: Yep. Uh, we're now off to the Bruins-Sens uh, segment. There is no Sens news here, so it's only really uh, speculation here on the Bruins part. I guess it's it's actually kind of confirmed, too. But uh, So Jonas Brode, the speaking of the expansion draft, the Minnesota Wild um, have some moves to make where they can only keep a couple of Wild uh, players. Uh, defensemen, they have a lot of defensemen, so there's Sutter, Dumba, um, I think there's another one that they want to keep, They too. have
0: Spurgeon, they have Scandella.
1: Spurgeon and Scandella. So it looks like Jonas Brodeen's gonna be the odd one out, um, in this scenario, um, yeah. which is fine, and it looks like the Bruins are reportedly in talks with, uh, mm-hmm. Jonas Brodeen before, um the deadline is uh, Jonas Brodine only had, I think he only had like nine goal uh, points this season and he's more defensive minded as well. But the important thing here is um, which I'm fine with, he's 23 years old. um, He's bound to get better. Uh, He he has, um, you know, Minnesota. um, But uh, here's the thing. So Zdenio Chara, left-handed defenseman. Um, he is uh, 40 years old right now. He turned 40 uh, just a while ago. He's one year left on his contract. He's also a left-handed defenseman. So uh, if the uh, Bruins do get Jonas Brodin, um, we'll have a guy to literally replace Chara. Um, other defensemen that we have that are left-handed are Tori Krug, Um, and, uh, Jeremy Lazan, who's, and, uh, Jacob Zaboro and those two, the last two that I just mentioned, Zaboro and Lazan, those two are in the farm system and we don't really know what's going to happen. So Jonas Brudine is a little bit of a better, a safer pick in that regard in terms of, we know what we, we know what he's capable of in the NHL and he's proven that he can play in the NHL on a deeper level. Um, I assume Tory Crew would take the top spot. And of, uh, of course, McAvoy, we still have McAvoy and Brandon Carlo. But those guys are both right handed defensemen. So they can't. They'll probably uh, literally replace Chara. But just considering they're right handed defenseman and Chara is a left handed defenseman, it just makes sense logistically to get another left handed defenseman. So. Um, I'm for it um, supposedly uh, the Bruins are interested in trading their first round pick and I think a player um, for to the wild but um, um, it could happen as soon as this week so uh, uh, stay tuned to that uh, because you know the draft is coming soon but um, yeah I, I'd be more I'd, I'd, if I was going to trade the first round pick, I'd honestly want a winger instead, but um, at the same time, like, you know, Jonas Burdine is worth a first-round pick, so um, I'd be okay if the the Bruins made this deal. I wouldn't be um, ecstatic, but I wouldn't be, like, depressed either, so... um, What's
0: also interesting is that Minnesota doesn't have a pick in the first two rounds this year, which is probably... that's
1: That's another incentive for Minnesota as well, so...
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, now, uh, uh, it's been known that Sweeney wants a puck-moving defenseman who can play top four minutes. Brodeen's right. that guy, um, and he's got term to his deal next four years. He's making over four million. The Wild also need to sign, re-sign Mikael Granlund and Nino Niederreiter to new contracts, right. and they only have a certain amount of cap space to do that. And of course, we mentioned all the defensemen and how they're and how he's the odd man out. He got a career high twenty-five points this year. Yep. But he was averaging just under 20 minutes of ice time. That's a career low for him, believe it or not. So it, if Boston doesn't get him, Vegas is probably going to select him. I think they'd yeah. be wise to take Jonas I agree with that,
1: yeah.
0: Um And we mentioned that uh, Minnie doesn't have a draft pick in the first two rounds. Um, you look at Krug and Cher and McElboy as the Bruins' top three. I think Brodin's the perfect guy to solidify that top yeah. four.
1: Um, and we also have Zaboro. So again,
0: it, it all depends on LaZone. who Minnesota yeah. wants to return. But I think the yeah. Bruins they're wise to go after Jonas Brodin. They really do.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we also have uh, Lazan and Ziboril in our uh, system too. Um, right, only, but
0: they're not ready now. Defensemen like right. Brodin. They're
1: not. They're not. And they'll probably and when they come up, they'll probably be third pair anyways. But um, those guys are also in our system too. I just wanted to mention that. Uh, but yeah. yeah uh it is it is certainly exciting it's it's definitely better than it was two years ago where like that was like our big big discussion is where can we find these defensemen and all of a sudden, just thanks to Sweeney, we drafted well and um, now we have a like a influx of defensemen so um it should be exciting uh to see for the coming months, not just for my team but for every team here so. Um Speaking of which, uh, we're so th- th- we're gonna do the same thing as we did last year in the off season. Uh, we're going to uh, have an episode every week until um, the uh, first week in July because that's when free agency is officially under the way, and that's also when like things start to slow down. So, um, we're gonna then start to go every two weeks um, from that point. So, uh, yeah, um, I'm Brett. All uh, right, social media. Yeah, I uh, can't forget that. <laughs> yeah, ladies, um, uh, if you're still listening to this, this is an hour thirty minute podcast here. Um, hopefully informative. Hopefully informative. Exactly. Um, we got into a heated bit with uh, check there, so we'll see. Um, but, uh, the, uh, well, Twitter is, uh, Lace Up Podcast, um, our Facebook is Lace Them Up, um, you can email us at, uh, bag at, uh, gmail.com, you're also probably listening to this on either three, three sets here, either through fan tracks, um, I have a, I actually have a article up right now on the top ten centers um, in the upcoming season. So look forward to that. Um, uh, you can look read that on Fan Tracks right now, and then um, I just had to pin my own uh, stuff here. Um,
0: Maybe put the link in the description or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll
1: I'll tweet it out. Um, I mean, and Steve, uh, Steve also uh, posts stuff on his radio show when he talks about hockey. So there's that too. Yeah. Um, and then we have uh, you're uh, you might be listening to this on SoundCloud. So uh, subscribe and follow us there. You'll automatically get notified when you get there when you when there's new episodes. And then also on iTunes, where you'll also get updated on new episodes as well. Uh, I think. Uh, let me just double check to see if we there isn't any last minute news. <laughs> um, NHL would like to uh, oh, would like salary cap negotiated with the NHLPA by end of business Friday. Um, we already. Yeah, we only we already announced Mark Andre Fleury. Um, yep. Okay, I'm I'm Brett Duboff.
0: I'm Steve Ellsworth, off-season news galore, starting with episode 81 of the Lace em Up podcast.